Or is it just my loud voice? There we go. There we go. <coughs> All right, so uh, we're going to start today with reading uh, the passage, and then we'll go from there. So our passage today is Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Quite a heavy passage for a Sunday morning, but uh, I think I have something good here for you guys. So let's ponder upon uh, for a moment the statement of plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand. Quite intense statements if taken at face value, but what was it that Jesus meant with these words? Uh, throughout the gospel, we see Jesus say things that are kind of rather inflammatory, um, that kind of make us instinctively go, whoa, Jesus, that was, that was intense. Let's just take it down a notch here. Um, and I think this passage is one that's along those lines that makes us instinctively think that. Jesus was very skilled with his choice of words and the imagery that he used to make his point. In all the words that we have uh, from him, every single one has a purpose and is profitable for those who read and listen to them. So the question remains, what was Jesus intending? Or what was the intent behind these few verses? That's what we're going to look into these mes- during this message. Often when we deal with passages such as this one, contents plays a big role, context plays a big role, and it helps us gain an understanding of uh, what the person speaking it, uh, in this case Jesus, and what the author had intended. So, uh, as well as it helps us gain a grasp of what would be running through the minds of those who listened to it or read it the first time. So let's take a look at a couple, couple chapters back here um, to the events that sort of lead up to our passage here. In chapter 3, we meet someone who I would say is probably one of the most key people to the message of the coming Messiah besides the Messiah, Jesus himself, John the Baptist. A man whose role was as prophesied in Isaiah 40, uh, he's going to come before and prepare the way for the Messiah. We also see in this chapter a moment that I think is really sort of the the starting point for Jesus' ministry going forward into the Gospels, uh, Jesus' baptism. Uh, And then from there, once he gets baptized by John, there's sort of an immediate, just Jesus takes off, uh, where he goes into the wilderness. Uh, The account of Matthew doesn't really tell us if there's any time in between uh, when he was baptized and when he goes into the wilderness, but it does leave us with an important note that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Um, I think it's a little funny that it specifies that he was led by the Spirit, because you would think that Jesus was led by the Spirit everywhere. But uh, I think the purpose of that is to show us uh, that, the, that God's plan and the purpose for that uh, in the next part of sort of the events that lead up. In chapter 4, we get the, the, his venture into the wilderness and the 40 days in which I would say the his official first battle with the devil. Um, Obviously, he would have had words with him in the past, 
um, but this is sort of our, our only picture of a one-on-one -on -one interaction uh, with Jesus and Satan uh, before we get the one at the end of Revelation. <coughs> I, I like to think of this kind of as like a, a scripture boxing match. Uh, the devil's throwing out verses that he's twisted uh, to sort of meet his own ends, and then Jesus retorts back with uh, verses in context to rebuke Satan. Um, one little funny side note, when Gabby and I first started dating, uh, I would say something often out of context just to be a little silly, and she would uh, re retort back with this, twist ye not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. And <laughs> re reviewing this, I'm like, oh, that's where that comes from. <laughs> and so uh, continuing forward into uh, verse, sorry, chapter 4, we see Jesus starting his, this is annoying, now it's apart, I broke it, <laughs> okay, I'll just hold it here, I guess that works, <laughs> we see Jesus starting his public ministry, uh, taking on the torch from John the Baptist, uh, and proclaiming the same message that he was. So, and then uh, shortly after he starts his ministry, we get to see him gather his disciples, the first two, Andrew and Simon, who goes on to be known as Peter. And we get uh, the phrase, the phrase that's gone to adorn many a church walls, VBS, and Christian pop songs. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then from there, uh, we, we see sort of where our passage leads in today. This... Um, this part of scripture I find a little jump cutty because it's kind of just Jesus went here and did this, Jesus went here and did this, Jesus went here and did this. And then we get this huge section here, um, a section which people call Jesus' first sermon. I don't know if it was his first sermon because there may or may not be stuff that was recorded beforehand. I like to say his first recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, a huge multi-chapter sermon where Jesus just sort of flips everything on its head. In this, we see things like poor people are rich, blessed it is to be persecuted, blessed it is to have people basically lie and slander you, and then there's, there's a whole lot of talk about, about the heart. Probably some questions that would have been popping into uh, the Jewish people listening to Jesus at the time, because this is really different from what they would have expected a, a prophet or a, a teacher to be teaching. But one thing that I think w probably would have been through their head at the time the most is, well, the law doesn't teach that. It's only about my deeds, my actions, what I do, what I don't. And that is what I would endeavor to say is Jesus' point of the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount and the small verses that we looked at earlier. That the Jews of Jesus' time were following the letter of the law, but they were missing the heart. They were missing God's heart. And so, that extends into what we just read. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body to go into hell. So we're left with the same question that those who would have originally heard the ser this sermon probably asked themselves. 
what in the name of all that is good and holy is this guy on about? This is a passage that I imagine those who would have stayed with Jesus towards the end of his life and those of us who read more into Jesus' words and, and read about the end of his life would start to gain more understanding on. And we'd start to see sort of a, a pattern that Jesus tends to use the literary device that he's using here quite a lot. That device is known as hyperbole. He uses basically what is an extreme example to exaggerate a point, to uh, something that's not supposed to be taken literally, uh, to sort of exaggerate a point. A great example of this is, I uh, think of the Christian movie Fireproof. Um, I'm going to go on record here and saying I'm not the biggest fan of Christian movies. Uh, I think they tend to be kind of corny, um, and they, cause, because they tend to be lower budget, um, yeah, not the, not the greatest opinion of them. However, uh, I do think there is usually a lesson to be gleaned from them, and they're often good at putting things into a modern view, as well as something Gabby would say, they have heart. Um, in this movie, we see a young couple, Caleb Holt, played by Kirk Cameron, because it's a Christian movie, Kirk Cameron has to be involved somewhere. And then we see Ka- uh, his wife, Catherine Holt, uh, played by Aaron Bathia. As the movie begins, um, the couple's relationship is sort of on shaky ground. Um, things aren't going great between them, and we find out that Caleb has, is grasped by an addiction to pornography. And it's driving a wedge between him and Catherine. Catherine's fed up with Caleb and his addiction, his behavior, and his, just how distant and un- unloving he is to her. And so she files for divorce. Caleb, distraught with his life crashing around him and not wanting to lose the woman whom he loves, he reaches out to his father, who challenges him to a 40-day period of unconditionally loving Catherine. And so throughout the movie, you see all sorts of grand gestures and whatnot. I won't spoil the bits and pieces for her, uh, for you. But uh, yeah, things start to get better in Caleb's life. Uh, Things start to change at work, um, his relationships with his friends, and his relationship with his wife. At what I would call the height of the movie, and probably the best scene, um, Caleb takes his computer out into the yard and smashes it. Um, now, in 2008, when this movie came out, I wasn't even a Christian. I was probably I was about 12 years old. Uh, but I'm told that when it was making its run through the theaters, uh, when that scene happened, you could hear young men, young Christian men, cheering uh, because they felt what Caleb was going through, and they they felt that his success was their success. This is a great example of. Hyperbole, sort of what Jesus was talking about. No, you don't have to go out and smash your computer uh, or cut off your limbs or pluck out your eyes, uh, whatnot. The hyperbole is to make a point, something we commonly do, like saying, everyone knows that. Oh, I felt my heart stop. They add, they add a weight. They, they drive the point home. The question now is, what was the point that Jesus had intended? 
I see three sort of main points that Jesus tries to get across to the listener and that Matthew tries to get across to us, the reader. The first is that sin carries a great and heavy cost. The second is that God doesn't just care about the actions, but the heart itself, where sin stems from. And the third is that we cannot remedy this problem of sin on our own, and we need help. Actions come with consequences. This may not sound like a revelation to most of us, but it's a very true statement and something that we need to be reminded of constantly. As Paul says in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. Jesus makes it very clear that lust and other places, anger and insert sin here, carries with it a punishment that is being thrown into death. Uh, sorry, thrown into hell. <laughs> we often don't take these things seriously in our current context. The prevailing narrative is that that circulates is well, it doesn't hurt anyone. Or one that I've been guilty of saying to myself far too often is, well, it's okay to watch, watch this video or watch this movie even though it has these things that we really shouldn't be seeing. We often don't take seriously the sin of the mind and the sin of the heart. So long as it doesn't spill out into our actions. But what Jesus is saying here is that it will. Paul says it best in Romans fourteen twenty two. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself but what he approves of. There is a phrase known as a slippery slope. It gets tossed around quite a lot this day and age. There's a whole fallacy built, about, built around it when you're learning the principles of logic. But I don't think anything applies, the phrase slippery slope applies to more than this. That's why we need to guard ourselves from the temptations of the world. We need to be watchful of what we consume. And then there's a common phrase, I think, we've all uttered, or we've heard uttered by our parents, garbage in, garbage out. To the Jews listening to what was been spoken, it must have been a very confusing message. Most of the Jews of the day were very good at following the letter of the law. The term that we would use to describe them this day are legalistic. They were like lawyers splicing through the law, looking for any loophole, trying to find a way they could use it for their own gain. The message for them that Jesus had is that they're getting it all wrong. Jesus was saying, says it best when he says, wolves dressed as sheep. To those on the outside, they appeared blameless and righteous. But on the inside, they were, op- they were the opposite. That's what Jesus' intention was here, was to tell us and to those listening that God not only cares about our actions and our words, but the heart, where where they come from. Those on the outside of Christianity often charge Christianity with being just all about rules, do's and do nots. But that's a reductionist view and a false one. God wants all of us. He doesn't want just a robot that will blindly follow that will blindly follow the law to the letter, but he wants us to follow him and to keep his law because we love him and we love his law. That's why Jesus is extreme about being careful about what you have in your heart because it will naturally flow. It will naturally flow out. Whatever is in your heart will be will become outside. So by cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye, 
you're guarding it, you're putting up barriers that prevent whatever it is from getting into your heart. Just like when you're driving a car, you look where you go. You, you look and you'll go there. Right? You keep your eyes pointed forward on the road, you will head forward. So too must we keep our eyes fixed upon God to head towards him. So you may be listening, this thought may be going through your head. Okay, now what? Zach, I've tried to get rid of whatever it is. You don't know my struggle. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my life, man. Um, (laughs) Which is true. I don't know what everyone's going through. I don't know your life. Um, But Jesus does. And believe it or not, I'm not a perfect person either. Uh, Maybe a shock to you guys. Um, I, I, I err, just as we all do. Sin... Especially, sin that has become a habit, it's hard to get rid of. It's not just like ripping off a band-aid and it's gone. It's not, and it's over. It's not easy. But I have good news for you. Um, Whatever it is, you're not alone in it. We have each other, and we have God. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. Working working through our hearts, refining us like a metalsmith refines gold. God has given us tools to overcome sin. His Holy Spirit, often an overlooked tool, and each other. We aren't just one person alone on an island. We were made to go through life together. One of the hardest things about being married is that I have someone Close, pointing out all the flaws that I have to work on. But the process is crucial for growing. As a person and as a follower of God. We need people to help us grow. That's when God, that's why when God made Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And thus made another to be with him, Eve. We can help each other. Whether it's just someone to be there, someone to pour wisdom into your life. Maybe you need counseling. Whatever it is, we're here to, we need to help each other. And so, in conclusion, as Paul said in Romans three twenty three through 24, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, The process may be long, and it may be hard to kick whatever it is. And you may fail several times, but don't abandon hope. The hope that we have, and that Paul has, are one and the same. The hope of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that spoke the words of the passage that we looked at today, went on to die on a cross to take the eternal punishment for sin that we've committed. He suffered so we can be free. And it is through that sacrifice on the cross that we can overcome our sins. That sacrifice is a free gift for those who choose to follow. What that looks like is complicated. And there's a myriad of people here who would be willing to talk with you. Elders, deacons. I'm sure Natalie would love to have a nice long conversation with someone. (laughs) I'll close with just... The closing words uh, from some of the closing words from Romans uh, 
15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.